Welcome to City Life Church, and this is our podcast. This is Pastor Dave Diefendorf, and we are so honored to have you join us today. Our passion is to help you discover who God is, grow in the likeness of Jesus, and lead well in this generation. I hope in this message, God will meet you where you're at and take you to the next level in your connection with Him and His kingdom. Enjoy the message. We're going to start a little two-part series. So uh, today and next week, and then at the end of the month, last Sunday of the month, we're going to have a Vision Sunday. Uh, it's something we've never done before here at City Life, and so I would highly encourage you to make sure that uh, you come out at the last Sunday of the month. We're going to lay some things out, and it should be really illuminating and fun. So, all right, to start off, uh, how many of you know what this is? Huh? How many of you know what that is? It's a little old school. Ladies in the room, you probably know what that is. Um, my mom actually had one of these growing up uh, in her bedroom, and uh, it is called a vanity mirror. Ever see? Ever put yourself in front of one of these things? Holy cow! Now, my mom's, my mom's would flip, so it would be a normal mirror on the back, and then you flip that thing, and it's like 10x, and you put your face up, and you are seeing things that you've never seen before in your life. I remember I was in middle school, not, you know, young skin, everything's fine, put yourself behind that, and I had problems. I uh, went into deep depression, no. Um, but a lot of, you know, we have, these, we have these mirrors, and it allows us to see some things that we've been missing, right? You ever get that neck hair? Never mind. Uh, but it's always good to have a mirror, but there are some things that we can't see with just our normal lenses. And... I would submit that in God, there's a larger story happening that we don't see. Um, that our American, maybe Western eyes don't see what actually we find in the scriptures of all that's happening. And so as we look at the scriptures today, it's, it's my hope that maybe you will see more than what you've seen before. We're going to talk about something that you've probably heard before. But it's my heart that as we dig into the scriptures today, that God would truly open up your, what I would call like heavenly imagination, to see what truly is happening around your life, in your life, through your life, with regards to God and his purpose for you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we ask you, God, as we come before your word today, God, that you would renew our mind. God, that you would speak things that only you can speak, that be, is beyond a human voice. Holy Spirit, we ask you, God, to reveal you today. Lord, that this would not be about us, but it would be about you and how we can and how we've been made to come under your rulership, come under your reign in our life. Amen. Amen. So we're going to do a two-part series called Reigning in Life. Reigning in Life. Uh, here at City Life, we believe that God's story is the most epic, the most compelling, and the most transformational message ever written in human history. And the crazy part is, is not only do we find and, and can see God's larger story. The crazy thing is, is that you and I are a part of that un, 
unfolding story of God here today. And it's our passion here that you hear, see, and experience this abundant life, this life that Jesus came to bring so that you and I may reign in this life the way that we've been made to. It's a life that you've been born to reign in. So our anchoring verse for this and next week, we're going we're gonna to anchor in Romans 5. And it says this, Romans 5, 17, it says, The sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over us, but all who receive God's wonderful, gracious gift of righteousness will reign in life over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. Powerful verse. God has made you to reign in life, but few are. Few are. And I would submit it has nothing to do with your present circumstances. It has nothing to do with your future circumstances. You reigning in life has nothing to do with what's happening around you. Reigning in life does not mean that all of life is under your feet and you're just dominating. You know, you can kind of sometimes feel like you need to get that attitude. Man, I'm just dominating in life, irregardless of a lot of areas in my life are a mess. God, I'm dominating. You can talk yourself into it, but no, you're not fooling anybody, especially God. God has made you to reign in life, but we need to look at what does that mean? What does that mean to reign in life the way God would define it? There's a larger story going on here, and we're going to unpack this today, but I just want to sit in this verse real quick. Now imagine, the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death, and here's a reigning term, caused death to rule over us. Imagine that. Imagine what that looks like in the spiritual realm. I want you to begin to picture, I want God really to take a hold of your imagination today. And part of my job is just creating pictures for you today. But it's that, that you would see, what, did, what would that look like in the spiritual realm of death reigning or ruling over humanity? But it says, in Christ, Paul says, in Christ, it's Christ who brings righteousness. That means a state of a person as if they should be. A complete, whole, integral person, a person who is righteous, does not have any cracks, that God designed you and brought righteousness into your life. And it's in that right standing due to Christ that we reign in life under his gracious and wonderful rule and leadership. And humanity, I would submit, has been designed that way from the beginning. That it isn't just an aspect of your life, but it's an actual central defining call on how God made you and I, that we are made in his image. So to see this theme of reigning in life, we've got to see that reigning is interwoven into our very design. Genesis 1, verse 26, says, God, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like us, and they will reign over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, the livestock and all the wild animals and small animals on the earth. 27, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. 28, then God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, 
the birds in the sky, and all the animals. Now, it's amazing how God, God did not design automatons or robots to just uh, execute His will. The way He made human beings is quite unique. Quite unique than any other creation that He made, actually, that we see. God is good and generous and decides to share His world with humans. That's so amazing. That He wants to partner with them and expand the garden, the garden that we see in the beginning, because this project had just begun. He he brought heaven to earth, and it was mankind's job to cultivate that to the ends of the earth. And so he gives them the authority and the ability under his authority to subdue and reign in the way he would. And that's key. To reign as he would, not as we humans in our own right would and to make this world the place that God intended to be. So as we can kind of glean from this, what are some things that we can glean from this common verse that maybe you've probably heard a handful of times before? But what we can glean, number one, that both men and women are equally included in this imaging, in this call. Number two, it what makes us distinct from the rest of earthly creation. Plants, animals, that there was something uniquely divine. Number three, that there is something about the image that makes mankind like God in some way. We understand that we're not God. Just to remind you, you're not God. But that we embody something about God. And lastly, there's nothing in the text that suggests that the image has been bestowed incrementally or partially. If you're human, you are God's image bearer. And when you look at this phrase, in the image of God, that word in, when you get into the kind of the Hebrew grammar, it gets a little interesting because in can be used for a lot of different ways. Like I put my dishes in the sink. In would connotate location. Or I teach in education. In education, in the educational realm, in defines a location or a function. So in, in this, in this sense, is, um, where am I? It's actually a verb, and it's describing a function. It's more like we're created as God's image. Created as God's image. To be His image bearers. Image is not mere ability, but it's a status. We are God's representatives on the earth. To be human is to image God. And as we see in Genesis, imaging is not just a passive role, but one that comes with responsibility and authority. And we're to create more and more image bearers. That's fun, creating more image bearers. But then once they're there, they're like, oh man, they're not bearing, <laughs> they're not bearing God's image yet. Praise the Lord. All right. I grew up with two sisters, and I've never been in a house full of three boys, but there's a lot of questionable imaging going on in our household. Uh, but we are to create more image bearers in order to oversee the earth by stewarding its resources and harnessing them for the benefit of all human imagers, as he would. 
And so many times we think, when we think about being made in his image, we a lot of times think about the attributes of God that we have. And so we kind of have this list. We have, well, that means that we have intelligence. Or being made, in image, being made in his image means that we have reasoning ability or emotions or um, self-awareness, language or communication ability, conscience, free will. A lot of times when we think about being made in his image, a lot of times we, our minds go to the actually attributes. But I would submit that the attributes God shared with us are the means to imaging the means by which we image God, not the image status itself. So I would submit that being an image bearer gives you standing, title, purpose. And that's going to cause a little shift in your thinking in that that's what, when God says, let us make man in our image, it's in that that he gives us standing, title, and purpose. So, for example, God made us with reasoning ability so that we can be good representatives of Him on the planet. God gives us reasoning ability so that we can subdue and reign in the way that He would. He's given us intelligence so that we can tap into the world's resources and make the world a place where life can flourish. He's given us self-awareness and a conscience so that we can go and subdue in the way that he would instead of go and exploit. But to connect our anchoring verse in Adam, this was our original design. This is what God tasked human beings to to be. Not just do, but to be a reflection of God's wisdom and character, life and joy. Delight and conviction. But something in Adam happened. Adam and Eve both gave in to disobeying God and eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That's a whole separate message to really unpack what that means. But basically, Adam and Eve gave in to two distinct lies. One, that God was holding out on them. They believed when Satan whispered to them, you will be like God knowing yourself, good and evil. What does that mean? Your eyes will be opened. You will be able to define good and evil on your own. So we gave in to that. And Adam and Eve, this is the second lie. The second lie is that they gave into the lie that they can truly become autonomous. I want you to track with me on this. This is a lot of times how we think. We think, well, okay, got the garden story, totally heard that before, Adam and Eve, you know, with the fruit, uh, probably, you know, it's always an apple, I don't know why it's an apple, it should have been, I don't know, it's probably some other fruit. But anyway, we think, okay, we had a choice either to give our life to, you know, be under his rulership, under his kingship, or we choose not to be, right? That's kind of how, that's where it kind of ends, is that we'd say either I will serve God or I will go my own way. And that's a lot of times how we, in our kind of materialistic, naturalistic way of seeing it, that's how it's always been kind of portrayed. It's either serve God or go your own way. Come on. 
Here we go. Autonomy. Let's define it real quick. Autonomy is defining good and evil on your own terms. Autonomy means independence. Autonomy means free of control from any outside force. That's what autonomy means. And we've given in to the myth of autonomy. Because like I said, it's either we choose God or we choose our own way. However, the result is not being under either God's leadership or our own. In fact, the result was actually someone else became their master at that point. Not themselves, but they submitted and put themselves under the kingdom of darkness. Now we're here, we say we believe in God, yet when we, a lot of times when we talk about the enemy to our soul, a lot of times we get, oh, that's kind of, no, 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 I need you to see what's happening in the spiritual realm around your life, that God would open up your eyes, that it's not either I live under God's gracious and marvelous rule and reign or I choose to go my own way. It is either I serve God or I serve the enemy. And as Bob Dylan said, you've got to serve somebody. It may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you've got to serve somebody. Autonomy is a myth. You are either submitting your life under the rule or reign of God or you are submitting your life under a dark force that Jesus said is a thief that comes to steal, kill, and destroy God's image design in your life. To corrupt that image once again. And why would I say this? It says, because they felt shame in the garden, and God says this in verse 11, it's in Genesis 3.11, who told you that you were naked? The Lord God asked. He knew that that came from another source. Shame just wasn't the natural consequence, but shame was that they had placed themselves under the dominion and rulership and gave up our authority and rights under the rulership of a dark, insidious, masterful force. So I hope you can see this, that there really are just two kingdoms. Humans were not created for autonomy. We will image whatever we have chosen to give our allegiance to. Does that make sense? We will image whoever we are giving ourselves allegiance to. So for some, in our culture, we give our allegiance to a lot of different things. Big one is pleasure. When you give in and are an allegiance to pleasure, in that I live to uh, get as titillated as possible, meaning that I need, to, I need to have experience, or I need to get adrenaline kicks, or I need to get um, drug kicks, that I need those kicks in my life, when I am serving my allegiance to that, what starts off as a brand new, bright, sunny day, oh man, this is great, man, this is so relaxing, this is awesome. If you serve allegiance to that God, your life slowly becomes darker and darker, and you find yourself on a Friday night or a Saturday night wondering, how did I get here? 
Have you ever asked that? I've asked that <laughs> numerous times. <laughs> How did I find myself here? It's because I'm giving my allegiance to pleasure. Or how about when we give our allegiance to money? When money becomes the thing that we are actually in allegiance to, what happens? You can see it all over. They pay, people pay more attention to the outside and the presentation and the first appearance than they are concerned about their own character, about how they handle relationships, how they hand, resolve relationships that they're so concerned about other people's opinion of them based upon their worth, their wealth. Their worth equals their paycheck. When you serve money, when allegiance is to money, life devolves and you become less human. What does it mean to be human? We'll get there in a second. We become less human. Or power, or Something else. It's not just that I'm serving pleasure. What's happening is that I'm placing myself, either pleasure, money, power, whatever it is, I'm placing myself not under God's rulership, not over my own because I'm not that authoritative. I'm not all that, we're human beings aren't that high up in the pay grade. But it's I'm placing my life under the spirit of darkness. Hopefully you can, I pray that you can see this. It says, in Adam, mankind, thinking he was autonomous, he was really under the influence of and marred by the enemy, became ruled over. Our anchoring verse, in Adam, death ruled over us. However, let's move forward. God chose a man named Abram, changed his name to Abraham, and through whom he would bless, not just for himself, but for the nations. God chose the people to reveal himself to, to shepherd and guide and reveal his way, his way of doing things, his way of reigning. But time and time again, they lost their way. They kept turning back to defining good and evil on their own terms and coming under a spirit of deception and darkness. And then finally, God sends his very own son, the ultimate solution. Colossians 1, 1, 5, Colossians 1, 15 says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. So who's this Jesus? He's the visible image. Christ is God's image reflected perfectly. He lived the life that humans were designed to perfectly. Jesus ruled and reigned exactly how God would, perfectly. And it goes on in Colossians, it says, For God in all His fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and by Him God reconciled everything to Himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of His blood on the cross. Wow, He made peace. He made peace. That word shalom is this amazing packed word. It means peace and wholeness. It means righteousness. It means bring back into right standing. But this word peace also connotates this vision that you would have your foot placed firmly on the neck of your enemy. That's a 
part of this aspect of shalom. That when Jesus, when John said in this, 1 John 3, why did God come? Why did Jesus come? He says, the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. And a lot of times we treat God as if, man, I see the person of Jesus, I see that he came to die for my sin, I'm so appreciative for that, and I want to follow him. The thing that we miss is this larger, grander, epic, supernatural story that has been unfolding since the beginning that Jesus came to do a death blow to the enemy's works and opened up a way for mankind to come in back under God's rulership again, to be restored in our authority, to be restored in our purpose and calling of being God's image bearers. That is why Jesus came. There's liberation God wants to take you out of the kingdom of darkness. Maybe wholesale or maybe an issue in your life. God wants, you to, God wants to take you out of the kingdom of darkness and being placed in the kingdom of his dear son. You are a part of a cosmic battle over, God, over God's image bearers taking up their rightful place and stature to rule and reign as he would. In Christ, our original righteousness and calling, our imaging was fully restored. We are ruling and reigning when we, with Him, partnering with Him, we are ruling and reigning when we're creating, when we're building, when we're cultivating, when we're caring, when we're feeding, and are causing the earth and its people to flourish. That is God's imaging. So the question is, who is your allegiance to? Because you will image whoever you are in allegiance to. You want to be stuck imaging, trying to image yourself? Man, if I could just show people who I am. You've been made to image something. Either that's either going to illuminate the kingdom of God or that's actually going to draw people to the kingdom of darkness. So when you give your allegiance, you become his partner. And, you f- and as you follow his perfect image, Jesus, you become more and more fully human. You become more and more fully human. And when you give your allegiance to anything else, you become less and less human and you become a slave. And I think that we all have had experiences in our life where we've been on that slave end. Where we've been giving our allegiance to something else. And like that, one, like that picture, we find ourselves, how did I get here? There is a calling on your life more glorious and more astounding than you've ever seen over your own life. There's a, a, more, there's a greater story happening that God is unfolding. But here's where we find ourselves. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4, Satan the God of this world 
has blinded the minds of those who don't believe, so they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news that is shining upon them. Now Paul says, it's very careful. Be very careful. For we do not wage war against people. But what does he say? Our war is against evil rulers and authorities and principalities in the unseen realm. There's a battle going on over your life, not just about your life, but there's a battle going on that you have find yourself in the battle. It's one of the things that I think people, I, I, remember, when, <laughs> I remember when I gave my life to the Lord at 19, I was a good religious kid, well, kind of good. I was a duplicitous religious kid who was a total hypocrite and deserved hell. But anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, but when I gave my heart to the Lord, I thought it was going to be like, man, I'm giving my allegiance to him. He's going to just, I'm going to be caught up in heaven with him for the rest of my life. I can start experiencing that now. Man, this is awesome. But it's like, man, when that regeneration happened in my heart, it's like I woke up and I'm like, holy cow, there is a war going on that I didn't see before. Man, I never struggled with temptation before, but holy cow, I'm really struggling with it now. It, it used to be just how I used to do things, but me following Jesus, becoming more fully human, learning how to imaging, image God. I've got to, know, I've got to get to know this God in order to image Him. And it was through that that I realized, and most people, when they come into the kingdom, it was like, it's like that veil is taken away, and it's like, oh my gosh, we're in this cosmic battle. But Paul also says this, just a few verses earlier, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, come on, get this, but whenever anyone turns to the Lord, then the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, He gives freedom, out of slavery, into freedom. And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be mirrors. Now check this. This, this ties exactly into our imaging. And all of us have had that veil removed so that we can be the mirrors, be mirrors that brightly reflect the glory of the Lord. And as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. Your calling. Everybody gets so caught up in, what's my calling? God, what do you have for me? Well, this is like ground zero calling. You have been made to image who God is to the planet. What a calling. And it's our hope that, that this would be a place where you could learn how to step into that calling fully. That you would learn what it means to kind of follow Jesus and to be an image bearer of God. That it's not just about your own personal spirituality, but it's something that, just take, it, it's something that takes a hold of us to where Jesus becomes the centerpiece to all aspects of our life, to every relationship, to every uh, role that you have, every hat that you wear. Jesus has wisdom, has grace, and has power in those areas of influence to image him. 
So I pray that God this week, I pray that God would open up a grander story in front of your eyes to see that you truly are in the most epic, unfolding story ever written. And it's God's. It's God's story that we get the privilege, that you and I get the privilege of being invited into to partner with him, to be a part of what he's already doing. God is already doing things in and around and through our lives that we don't see. And so it's through this series about reigning in life, I pray that God would just change the mentality that is laying inside of you, that he has called you to reign in life. And like I said, irregardless of the circumstances around you, but by imaging him. Let's pray. Father, God, I pray that you'd truly take a hold of our imaginations, that we would see your story more glorious, more compelling, more captivating than we've ever seen. God, I pray, Lord, if there's any familiarity in our heart, God, because it's something that we've heard over and over, God, that maybe we're numb to it and we're not seeing the beauty in this truth, God, that we're not seeing, God, our role and our place in this world is to image you. So, Lord, if we're, we've become too numb to that or calloused to that, Lord, we repent of any familiarity in our heart. God, that we would come to you with renewed eyes, with renewed lenses, to see that you have made us to be your image bearers. God, that that is a role and it is a responsibility. But God, you have given. That's why Jesus came to destroy the works of the enemy and give the authority back into the hands of the rightful king and through his servants on the earth. So God, if we've never given our allegiance to you, if we say, man, oh my gosh, I've been under the power of darkness maybe my whole life. I would encourage you to let today be the day that you cross over that line to say, Jesus, I've felt like I've been allegiant to myself, but God, I'm realizing that it hasn't been just myself, but God, I've been in allegiance with a dark kingdom. And Father, I pray that right now you would transfer me out of that kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of your dear son, Jesus. God, the sin and the brokenness, God, I leave that behind and I take on this standing, this title, this purpose of being an image bearer of you, God. Father, for those of us that, God, maybe have crossed that line, but again, God, if there's, if there's any area in our life, God, that we are yielding, God, that we are abdicating, God, that we are bowing down to something other than God alone in these areas of our life, God, I pray that right now you would break every tie and every spiritual stronghold that is tied to our heart and life. 
God, right now, I pray that you'd take authority over those areas in our life. God, we submit those right now in the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, come in and be in charge. God, we are in allegiance to you. God, today we are proclaiming afresh over our life, whether we've never known you or, God, we've known you for decades. God, we are in allegiance to you, King Jesus. And God, there's a life that you desire for us to image that reveals who you are. God, you've made us with gifts and personalities and ways of being. God, that uses all of that to shine brightly of who you are to this world. God, I pray that we would truly see this call on our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we hope this message has inspired you and challenged you to be the man or woman he's called you to be now and to see his kingdom grow in every area and arena of life. God is with you more than you know. For more information about our community here in Kansas City, please visit us online at citylifekc.org and we'll see you next time on the City Life Podcast.